Solution Area is out with its new quarterly threat intelligence report. What are some of the highlights and what are some of the areas that organizations ought to be paying more attention to in the next quarter? Hi, this is Tom Field, Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. I'm talking today with Rob Krauss. He's the Director of Research with the Solutionary Engineering Research Team. Rob, it's a pleasure to be talking with you again. Thanks, Tom. Uh, you as well. It's always a pleasure. So I had the chance to take a look at this quarterly threat intelligence report, and my first impression is it's bigger than the reports typically are. Does that mean that it's also better? Yeah, I think as we go through uh, evolution of putting out these uh, reports, we've been putting them out for a couple of years now. Uh, we have a very uh, technical team of folks within the Solutionary Security Engineering Research Team, and although they're technical, they, they also you know have a really good eye for what's valuable intelligence for distributing out to the security community as well as uh, other folks who may be reading the report, uh, business decision makers. So with that maturity, uh, we continue to develop the report, make it better, add new features, and, uh, and yeah, over time, things, uh, things get better. And, and specifically for this report, it's a little bit longer with topics around um, Heartbleed, and we have some follow-up information from some of our previous uh, malware analysis and, and uh, additionally some content we added about WebShell and uh, Node.js um, types of vulnerabilities and attack vectors as well. Well, a bunch of topics I want to take up here with you, and you mentioned some of them. Let's talk about Heartbleed. In your opinion, and how does the, the research back you up, was the Heartbleed vulnerability overhyped or maybe even underappreciated in the market? I don't know if I would use the word overhyped. Uh, I think it was it was very interesting to see how many organizations realized that this was a legitimate vulnerability and the potential for leveraging that vulnerability uh, with publicly available exploit code. So I, I, I don't know if I want to say overhyped. I, I don't think it was overhyped in the aspect of this is something small and people are talking too much about it. I think it was definitely definitely worth the amount of media uh, press and uh, attention that it received over the long term. Underappreciated, I think in some cases, yeah. Uh, I think some some organizations are still working on their maturity models and they don't necessarily understand the threat. I was uh, actually, I was on an airplane, I uh, fly around quite often uh, two weeks ago and I was sitting next to someone and they, they said, they asked me what I do for a living and, and you know, I told them I'm a security practitioner and we do a lot of research and she said, so you know about that heartbleed thing, right? That like flaw in, in SSL. And, you know, that goes to kind of say, you know, there's a clear misunderstanding of what people think, right? You know, there's uh, out there today, well, what are the different people taking into context about this type of vulnerability? So the people who are on the ground who are testing the Heartbleed vulnerability and writing proof of concept code and, and exploiting it and some of the things that we've seen from our own analysis of it, is certainly different than what the general public understands, as well as even security practitioners and organizations who may not necessarily have in-depth uh, knowledge of security. That may be fulfilling a security role, but don't necessarily understand the impact of Heartbleed. So with that being said, you know, during the week that Heartbleed was released, uh, we had a lot of educational sessions that we did via webinars for our clients to help them understand what the what the vulnerability was, how it potentially impacts their organizations, and you know what they should look at it from a business perspective. One thing I do want to point out, Tom, is that my concern 
is that we did have a lot of great media coverage that week, but how many people actually took action on it through our, our, our global threat intelligence report that came out uh, earlier this year, we identified some pretty scary statistics about patch management and uh, vulnerability management lifecycle. And then I think specifically we showed that organizations on average were showing that it took approximately 180 to 190 days to address a medium level vulnerability within their organization. Uh, so that's a quite a significant amount of time for a medium-level vulnerability or above. And when the Heartbleed first came out, it was actually flagged as a medium-level vulnerability. So I've got to think to myself, as if I'm putting them on my attacker hat, I know that there's going to be significant lag time before this problem is totally gone, right? So that's one of the things I think, you know, from the underappreciated side, this is really going to test organizations on how efficiently they can be with their vulnerability lifecycle management and, and addressing threats such as these. Rob, let me ask you about some of the malware trends that you've uncovered in your threat intelligence report. Uh, talk about some of the shifts in terms of where malware is coming from and really what you're seeing for strains of malware in the, in the wild. You know, we're still seeing that the United States is a major contributor to where malware is derived from, captured or hosted in general. And you have to think when you think of the overall picture of the world and the populace amongst different countries around the world and how well connected other countries are, it, it kind of makes sense that the United States is, is at the top of the list, right? We do everything, you know, culturally when you look at things uh, like different services that are out there for social media. We're very much today all about sharing information as quick as we can. And because the United States is so well connected and we have so many people subscribing to those different types of services, you know, it's a, it's a breeding ground to make it as quick as possible to, to move uh, malware around uh, this type of environment, right, to, to, just with our cultural understanding and use of different types of social media. Uh, but we are seeing increases from around the world as well. Uh, you know, some of the analysis that we're looking at shows upticks in different countries, such as France and the Virgin Islands, uh, Ireland. Um, so the, the U.S. has not necessarily cornered the market on it. There, there are certainly other countries who are up and coming, and that, that fluctuates over time, right? There, there are clearly some trends that will continue, but you're going to see uh, as, uh, as malicious attackers are out there looking for different ways to deliver their uh, malware and infect hosts, you know, that they're going to be looking for their deeper, darker corners of the web to try to get out there and leverage some of that space as well. Additionally, uh, you know, we've seen an increase in different ISPs uh, and hosting providers in general that are being utilized to host malware as well. I think in the last report we, we talked about services such as uh, Amazon or GoDaddy or what have you uh, that have different type of hosting capabilities where it's a playground for uh, malicious attackers to get out there and, and put their malicious software up on servers and host a malicious website and without too much trouble, right? And they do it just because the same reason that businesses use it, right? It's fast and it's efficient to, to set up a web server when you're going through another hosting provider. But unfortunately, the bad guys know that as well. So some of the increases that we saw is with Amazon, we saw a significant increase from 16 to 41%, which is quite a big jump. You know, obviously, the malicious actors that are out there are using these uh, services to, to throw up sites that are hosting malware leading to additional drive-by downloads or command and control servers or what have you. But at the same time, we also saw that GoDaddy had dropped to position number nine on our list of the, the top ten. 
they went from 14 to 2%. We can't speculate why they dropped. We don't know if they had implemented additional controls. Uh, I would like to think maybe they read our report and said, hey, we got to do something about this, but, you know, that would be pretty optimistic of me. But I think that this is just like the stock market, right? Things fluctuate every day. And depending on the goals of the attackers, this moves with with their needs. Rob, let's talk about the evolving and the shifting threat landscape. You spoke earlier about some of the new vulnerabilities you're seeing or some of the nuances. Talk a little bit about the changing landscape, please. The, the changing landscape, that's always an interesting discussion for me because it's really hard for us to tell on a day-to-day basis how much things change, right? So, it, it, you know, think about it this way. I have a, I have some cousins that I don't see every day, but when I see them every couple months, I realize how much they've grown and how much they've matured. And, and when I kind of look at malware and I look at the security industry the same way, if you look at it from the micro focus of what's happening every day, there's certainly notable events, but you don't really see what's happening on the threat landscape unless you take a step back and look at look at events over time and what have you. So um, we did a lot of that comparison in our Global Threat Intelligence Report earlier this year. We had compared some of the things that we had seen last year compared to what we saw this year, and a lot of it showed consistency. There are some things that were notably different. For instance, malware exploit kits are still making a significant drive uh, in their capabilities. As a matter of fact, this year when we compared uh, uh, this year's results and last year's results, we had identified that it appears that the exploit kit developers had actually gone back and pruned a bunch of the older uh, exploits they had for older vulnerabilities to make their kits more relevant today, right? And you can tell with the exploit kits that there is certainly a maturity uh, in the development of the capabilities of the kits themselves, but how they're going to market with their kits, how they're sharing them with the attackers that are out there today. So when we look at the uh, threat landscape, sometimes we have to focus on the micro and sometimes we have to take a step back and look at the bigger picture, and sometimes those pictures don't always paint themselves until you have some historical data. As far as the threat landscape evolving, um, you know, I can tell you from uh, attending the Gartner conference here um, last week that uh, we had seen definitely an uptick in niche providers of malware detection capabilities, and more specifically in the area of specialized network detection capabilities uh, for malware. And people are understanding, I think, that malware is a big deal. Additionally, I see there are significant strides in threat intelligence as well. Organizations are starting to understand that threat intelligence is not just a feed that gives IP reputation data, but it's more about the collective of all different sorts of intelligence that comprise an overall threat intelligence basis. And organizations are starting to realize that the generic feeds that tell you, you know, the daily digest that you get to your desktop provides value, and it tells organizations these are the things that's going on in your vertical or around the world in general, but we're finding a lot of organizations are have a significant desire to learn about what people are talking about them specifically. So I see, you know, and part of my prediction is we're seeing it already, and, and I predict that we're going to see a lot more targeted threat intelligence offerings um, that are that are out there as well. Well, Rob, last question for you. What do you expect to see in the quarter ahead? In other words, where should organizations be investing their time, their resources, and their money that they're going to invest? 
Yeah, that, that, that's definitely a good question, Tom. Um, and I could tell you that specifically where should organizations invest their time and money is one question that I probably hear several times a week. I speak with a lot of C-level executives who are concerned about their environment. They want to make sure that they're protected. But often I get very product-specific questions, which is interesting to me because there are a ton of great products out there that we can put into our environments to protect us against different types of threats. So specifically, if you, like I mentioned, if you look at malware products, there's a ton of products out there. If you look at DDoS, there, there's been a, a ton of providers who have come out over the last couple of years that provide DDoS mitigation capabilities. But the first thing I ask whenever I'm asked which product should I buy, you know, which product is the best, is what is making you believe that you need a DDoS product? What is making you believe that you need a malware analysis product on your network today? What, what's, what's justifying those as the priority? And quite often the answers I get back is, well, you know, I was t- talking with some of my peers and they said that XYZ product was great and, you know, they highly recommend it. But what's disturbing to me is that there's not any risk analysis actually performed to justify that. Uh, I think years ago there was a report that uh, came out. I, I don't remember the report name off the top of my head. But that was indicating that 10% of the IT security budget should be dedicated towards, uh, or the IT budget should be dedicated towards security. And a follow-up report came out saying that most organizations use about 3%, right? So, so we're dealing with a very small amount of money to, to help secure our entire uh, enterprise. So my question is always this. What have you done to determine that that is your biggest risk? If your biggest risk, if you think your biggest risk is a DDoS attack, and you spend all your money in that without doing a, a qualified, uh, a qualitative um, uh, risk assessment, you may be spending that money uh, ill-informed. What if you do a risk assessment and your risk tells you, yeah, DDoS is a significant concern, but you have a much greater loss potential in addressing malware threats? That's why it's important to have those types of assessments up front, right? And it's hard to say on an organization-by-organization basis where is the best place to invest their time and money unless they have a risk assessment that kind of tells them what your greatest loss potential is, which will help you identify how how to mitigate those. To answer the other part of the question, what do we expect in the next quarter? We expect, you know, there's a lot of things coming up. We have uh, some of the some of the major conferences are coming up. Me and my uh, team will be at, uh, at DEF CON this year and Black Hat and, and some of the major in- industry conferences. And there's uh, likely to be a lot of uh, new vulnerabilities that are that are released as part of that conference and, and a lot of weaponization of those and a lot of new research that always comes out with those uh, conferences every year. One of the constants that I expect to see over the next quarter is still the rise of, of malware. So recently with the FBI and, and some other organizations taking down black hole exploit, there's been a significant drop-off in those types of uh, the capabilities of the black hole uh, exploit kit. Uh, however, some of the research that we see has us uh, identifying that other exploit kits are stepping in to fill in their shoes. Specifically, uh, there's Angler and Fiesta and Styx, Neutrino, or some of those different exploit kits that are likely going to step up and, and, and take over where Black Hole left off, right? And they're going to fill that gap pretty quick. So, so I guess my question is, what's the end game? What's the next step? And that's it's going to be pretty interesting to see uh, unfold over here over the next couple of years. Well, Rob, you get me enticed now. I can't wait to see your next quarterly report. Thank you very much. You're welcome.
The topic has been the Solutionary Quarterly Threat Intelligence Report. I've been speaking with Rob Krauss, Director of Research with Solutionary's Engineering Research Team. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.